0: Thanks for joining Parenting Chats with Laura. I'm mum of three, teacher and parenting coach, helping you to navigate the messy and the magical on your parenting journey. We know the baby, toddler and preschool years set the trajectory for your child's life. I'm going all in and not holding back and bringing you inspiration and strategies to help you to be the parent you want to be. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Parenting Chats with Laura. I'm so excited today because we have on the podcast Carly Raven, who is a mum of a toddler, a naturopath, a clinical nutritionist, and a self-confessed bio, microbiome nerd. Is that how you say it? Microbiome. Biome. Oh, my gosh, I've never heard that word before. And she is going to be helping us today um, to um, know all about um what it is to encourage your child's gut health and I'm super super excited now Carly actually runs a practice over in Australia and has online courses for busy parents to help their kids with their gut health and I know that you're going to find this topic super useful for you at home so grab a pen and paper grab a cup of coffee glass of wine if it's late at night and come and hang out with us Carly thank you so much for joining me on the podcast why don't you introduce yourself your family and let us know how do you help people yeah, cool. Thank you so
1: much, Laura. And it's so funny about the microbiome because so many people say to me, um, you know, what is that? And so maybe that's something yes. I quickly touch on today because, you know, we, we know the word gut health, but then when I start talking about the microbiome, you're like not the only one. So it gave me a little bit of a giggle. Yes. Um, yeah. So I'm Carly Raven. I'm an absolute gut health nerd. I love everything to do with gut health. I work with people from all ages. So I commonly work in the space of IBS and um, SIBO and even bowel disease in adults but um i also absolutely love the infant microbiome and gut health and i think that it's just so important because it's basically setting up the foundations for you know children and their gut health but not even just gut health but their health and well-being you know in so many different areas of their health um so i just think it's it was kind of a no-brainer for me to kind of um you know, be really, really passionate about that and learn more and more about it. So um, it kind of was always, you know, we learn about that at uni. We It's in the curriculum there. But then I think... I became a mum myself so I, I have a um a, an 18 month old toddler his name is William um and you know I went through pregnancy did preconception care I had you know delivered him and then all of a sudden you've got a baby in your arm and you just want to do the absolute best by them and with all of my knowledge with gut health um you know there was a lot of a lot of different things and even myself as a naturopath and nutritionist There were moments where I was really confused. So I think I got to this space where I was like, wow, I think that this is such a big area that I could really start to help people in. Um, So I guess that's kind of where it all started. It's always been a passion, but I think there's nothing like being in it and doing it and experiencing
0: it to kind of, you know, set that alight even more. Absolutely. Well, do you want to explain to me, who is a total newbie on this topic, and also to our listeners? what on earth is a microbiome and how does it help our body
1: yeah cool so the microbiome we actually have like heaps of different microbiomes so we have like a skin microbiome we have a mouth microbiome uh, we have a gut microbiome um you know there's microbiomes in lots of different cavities in our body um really there's probably more than i even realize if i I'm totally honest with you. And basically what it's referring to is the microbes. So we've got different organisms and they might be bacteria. They could be fungus. They could be parasites. They could be other different pathogens. And they make up like an ecosystem of our microbiome. And they play positive roles on health. But what we can also find is that when things get out of balance, we can have negative effects on you know, health and well-being—not just our gut health, but that's when you know we can get disturbances to the oral cavities when the microbiome's not right, or um, skin issues when the skin microbiome isn't great. Um, so yeah, it's basically just you know referring to microbes that exist in and on us.
0: Wow, that's so fascinating. Um, so you know, when you were pregnant, is there anything that you learned through your pregnancy that you're going to take through to your next pregnancy? so much stuff. I think like being a first time mom, you're so focused on
1: all the things about like being pregnant and eating the right food and setting up your nursery and thinking about like the birth that I think it's a time where we're not really thinking about our future baby's gut health or, you know, sometimes not even our own gut health as well. Um, So I think Going through that, and also now working with a lot of mums and parents and carers who have got children that kind of went through pregnancy and preconception care, not really, I guess, prioritizing their health and well being and even their gut health. I think that's something that I would definitely look at. And even there were so many things as I was going through my pregnancy that. You know, as in Wangaratta, I live in regional Victoria um, in Australia. We have an amazing maternity healthcare system, one of the best in Australia. So we have what's called community midwife-led programs. So rather than being, um, you know, thrown around to different midwives and things like that, we have a very uh, continuous care through with maybe one or two midwives. Um, so we're really, really lucky. And then after that, you also have like lactation consultants and things like that. So there's a lot of support. But I find like as I was going through it myself as well, it's kind of like, it's like you go to the appointment and then you've like got decisions to make or things popping up, Um, you know, even something like GBS, which happens in the later stages of pregnancy. And if you test negative for that, you need antibiotics. And sometimes as women, we don't know that that's coming. And then if you're testing positive, you're needing antibiotics. And then we're exposing antibiotics to the mum's microbiome and the children's microbiome. And that's kind of like one of the first things that can kind of, you know, have an onset of gut issues in kids. So I think, I didn't realize how much is involved, I think. So I think that's one of the things that kind of gave me that bigger picture. And I think, you know, really prioritizing my health prior to falling pregnant, but also during that pregnancy um, is something that I'll do different next time.
0: So does that mean that you're just going to eat different foods or what are you practically going to do to make sure that you have a really super healthy pregnancy? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think diet is like, you know, most of what we need to be doing is eating really well. But I think also looking at like certain different um, probiotic strains um, and prebiotics and things like that as well, because we know that there is also that maternal transfer. So we have what happens is we know that mum can now pass on microbes to baby um, during the pregnancy as well. So the state of our gut when we're pregnant can actually translate over into our children. So optimizing that with diet, reducing stress, maybe not taking antibiotics if they're really not needed, um, and then looking at different probiotics and prebiotics and things like that that we can do. And that can be supplemental and dietary as well, like probiotics and prebiotics are dietary based, but sometimes we need them in higher doses and in therapeutic levels to get a better response or resolution of issues as well.
0: Okay, that's really interesting. So what are your three top tips for nourishing your child's gut health through infancy and toddlerhood? I think that, like, the first thing is obviously their diet. I think
1: when we look at now the statistics on... Um, When we're introducing solids, it's commonly, you know, anywhere between three to six months. I really advocate um, for delaying that and making it around the six-month mark and even then making it a very gradual response because we have to realise that the children's gut is really immature. It's really developing. So I think that early introduction of solids and also, like, opting, like, I remember, like, sitting in the maternal health (laughs) nurse. I'm not sure the system over there, um, Laura, but here we have... um, Nurses that we then go and see after we've delivered our babies. Um, and this is outside of the hospital system. Sometimes they do home visits or we will go to like their offices as well and they just kind of check in with us.
0: Yeah, we have uh, that as well. So we we have our midwife normally for the first six weeks and then we start having plunket nurses, they'll come to our house to start with, and then as our babies get bigger, we go to the, the nurses' rooms.
1: Yeah, awesome. So you're familiar with um that process. And I remember um when I was at that stage where I was about to introduce foods to um, William they were like okay great so just start off with rice cereal and um, you know I have really big concerns around that um, being the first food um, because of the way that it can you know the the nutritional density of it um, but also how high and carbohydrate it is and Um, the fortification of iron in there can be really disruptive to the microbiome. Um, So I think really thinking about a whole food approach when they're really young and introducing solids and then you know, thinking about like, what are we giving them over that first three years? So, I'm not um, quite sure if you realize, but there's now a theory out there that our microbiome is fairly set by the first three years of life. So, um, I always say to everyone that I'm working with, it's, you know, it is just this amazing opportunity of time where we can expose our children and our babies too, as many different plant foods and whole foods. And, and it's not even just foods. It's also like, get the kids dirty, like let them get out there in the mud and get exposed because that those microbes will get on the skin and then they're going to get in the mouth and then into the digestive system. And people kind of get freaked out about that um, and think that that's a bad thing, but it's so, so good for like building up diversity in our children's gut. Um, So I think yeah food is a really really big one um and then uh i would also be looking at kind of trying to like take steps towards reducing that exposure to antibiotics and i think that there is an over prescription and an over demand i think we as parents sometimes go to our doctors and expect to receive the antibiotics, so there's a lot of pressure on GPs as well to prescribe these things. So I think we just need to be better educated around when you know those antibiotics are really needed, and what else could we be doing to prevent the child needing the antibiotics in the first place. And that's looking at optimising their gut health and immunity through other avenues as well. So, um, you know, and of course, antibiotics are life-saving. So I think that it's just leaving it for those moments where it's really, really needed and not over-prescribing because we know that it can have an effect um, one course of antibiotics can take anywhere between six to 12 months for the microbiome to recover. So it's such a long time. It's so (laughs) huge. And sometimes I like get a bit nervous even saying it because I don't want to like put the fear in people because it, it's like, when we say it like that, it's like, it's a bit scary. Um, but there's also so much that we can do to recover from that as well. So, but it's, it's important to have that awareness that they, you know, and they are collateral, meaning they're going to, they don't just kill one bacteria like tonsillitis bacteria um, or, you know, other infections. It is going to, you know, widespread affect all of the different microbes in the gut.
0: Yeah, so if I was a parent of a baby or toddler that had taken um, medication um, as prescribed by the doctor, should I be giving them something as a supplement as well, just to to make sure that um, they're at optimal health?
1: Oh, absolutely. Like even just uh, like in the, that case, if it is an antibiotic, I would be saying probiotics um, and working with a naturopathic practitioner would be like my best advice there to get. The right dosage and also the right strains, so there are some really particular strains that have been shown in lots of different clinical trials to um, reduce um, there's a potential i'm not sure whether um, you guys know, but when you take an antibiotic, there is also what's called antibiotic associated infection so just by taking the antibiotic we can create more issues because what's happening in the gut is when you take that antibiotic it's kind of if you could just imagine the immune system's kind of dampening right we're kind of reducing the beneficial bacteria that can come bite off infection so it's more likely for an infection to actually occur as well so I think um yeah just having that awareness and um uh yeah (laughs) kind of mitigating that I suppose
0: right how can you tell though if your baby or toddler has a healthy gut or not because obviously we can't really see so what are the signs that we know that things aren't all right so in the really young
1: kids it'll be like restlessness um crying not being able like sleep issues are a really big thing like um uh like even just waking like multiple wakes during the night because of the discomfort so what actually happens there's a really big connection between the gut and the brain and like inflammation in the body. So what can happen is a bit of a neuroinflammation. It can be sending signals to the brain. So this is where we also talk about like gut affecting toddlers and children and behavioural issues as well. Um, So, you know, you you can think of like those typical digestive symptoms, like maybe the baby's bloated or got pain or diarrhoea or constipation. Um, But we can also see now that it's like, Sleep and its behavior and its skin issues and eczema and there's so many things like, you know, the gut really is the center of what I view as the center of well-being and it can extend out and affect so many different systems in our body.
0: Yeah one of the things that I find when I'm talking with parents about constipation because obviously being a toilet training coach I specialize in the behavior around toileting and a lot of kids start to freak out and they get constipated and one of the things that I talk a lot about is the fact that you've actually got to allow your body time to heal or your child's body time to heal when they've had constipation because um, there is there's this thing of, oh, well, they're not constipated anymore, so everything's fine. But it's actually you've got to let everything heal and settle before you then um, have high expectations that they're going to be super successful with toilet training.
1: Yes.
0: Um, Yeah, and I think that some of the things that I find is you just kind of expect... You know, I think we live in such a fast world nowadays that um, you kind of expect that, oh, yep, I gave them the medicine, or oh, yep, they've done this, now we're moving on. It's like, well, actually, the body still doesn't work like that. You know, they actually need to have that period of time to heal.
1: Oh, and it can take quite a bit. I find, though, children are really receptive. Like, I'm often blown away by how quickly children can turn a corner. Like, I've had patients with chronic eczema, like, just you know all of a sudden a month or two and it's like the new progression of eczema is like stopped completely and it's just a matter of then the existing um eczema starting to heal um you know and then once you shift that microbiome and the constipation um clears but i think uh maybe to touch on that on a little bit more of a deeper level i think also is it depends on how chronic the constipation was and how long they've been suffering from it because there can also become like a miscommunication with the brain um and um children who then become fearful of of going to the toilet um that communication doesn't work so and even that translates into adults so i think i i don't know if you could agree but i feel like we often wait to just wait for what i'm trying to say we're waiting for the the feeling and the sensation that we need to go to the toilet to do a poo right we're kind of going about our day and then all of a sudden we're like, oh, I think I need to go and do a poo. And It's because of that sensation and that message that we're getting. And that's when we go, we sit on the toilet and we pass. But sometimes if we're not listening to that or that signal isn't happening, then that's an issue in itself. So what I always also say to parents and even adults who have got gut issues is, we should actually be spending some time in the morning to try and train our body and our mind and our bowels to pass that motion, because sometimes we can even pass emotion without the sensation.
0: Yeah. And I think it becomes really difficult for some of my clients um, in the beginning stages of working with me, because they'll actually say to their kids, hey, do you need to go and do a poo? And the kid will hand on heart, say, no, I don't. Yeah. They actually can't read their body signals. You know, yeah. it's actually not all functioning properly. And um, that's one of the things that we talk about in the coaching session is actually having those realistic expectations because Mm -hmm. a child might go, well, no, I don't need to poo. I don't want to poo. And it's like, well, actually, you do need to poo. (laughs) You just um, don't know that you do um, at this stage. So, yeah, it's one of those interesting things where you want the kid to drive the process, but sometimes if their body isn't working right Um, then it's a little tricky for them to do that. So that's something I work with a lot of families on. Um, So awesome. Yeah. One of the things which I really wanted to ask you about is what kind of food should we be actually feeding our kids and including in our kids diet? Because I know that we've said that, you know, there's been a history, a lot of this idea of baby rice and, I know that so all the nutritionists and, and people that I know are all saying, don't give them baby rice. And I know <laughs> that back in the day, it was because baby rice was kind of bland so it could take on the flavor of breast milk. So you were basically the idea was is it was kind of thickening the breast milk, right? And mm-hmm. so because it had the same flavor, therefore they're more likely to take it. Um, but now obviously things have completely changed. So in terms of gut healthy foods, what, sh- what should we really be aiming to get into our kids' diets? especially in that those first three years of life? Yeah, so I
1: think to begin with, um, it's that progression of solids, like introducing the solids and even just starting off with some steamed sweet potato or even just really soft. It depends what um road and decision you're making in terms of purees or baby lead weaning and things like that. Um, But uh, literally just going for vegetables or you could do egg yolk. Um, obviously, you've got to do, Um, I have a whole introducing solid series that I've um, designed for, for patients now. Um, I've released that recently um, and go through even like how to introduce the allergen foods as well because, yeah, eggs are, You've got to be careful with the way they're introducing those, but there's no harm in, in that being one of the first foods or even just a little bit of avocado um, as well. So I think I just say start with food, <laughs> like vegetables and um, things like that. Or if you're doing purees, you can start even with a bit of um, like bone marrow. Um, a lot of people are now just putting um, bone broth in uh, with their like um, meat or veggie purees as well. like and. Of fats in there as well, like the avocado. Um, so yeah, it's whole foods. I think then as they're getting older, and the older they get, the more variety they need. So that's when you can start to introduce, you know, more fruits. I try to really use the philosophy of try to start off being a little bit more bitter um, and vegetable based, so that you can get them used to that, because we know that as they age. They're likely to become a bit more fussy with those foods and they really like sweet foods. I think every mum could probably nod their head and say, yep, they'll easily have fruit or anything with a bit of a sweet, but sometimes getting those veggies in can be tricky. So I think if you're starting at a very young age and trying to, you know, accustom that palate for the more bittery vegetable foods for a longer period of time, um, you'll have a little bit more success in the long run. Um, But it doesn't mean that you can't have... Fruit in there from an early age. Um, it just, I'd probably be having that less frequently than the veggies. Um, then, as they're getting older, that's when I would probably, um, on my website, I have what's called the Gut 40 um, resource. Um, and there was a big international study that was released a year ago and that looked at um, basically, it said that we all need about, 30, as an adult, we need 30 grams of fiber. A day. Um, but now, what they've actually found is that it's more about us also getting variety and diversity. So it's not just 30 grams of fiber. We need 30 grams of fiber from 30 different plant foods. So wow. I am, um, <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. Um, yeah. And um, not a lot of people do that. Like, you think about it, like, I don't know what it's like to be a busy mum, right? <laughs> like, it's yes. just like convenience is convenient and I think sometimes we just go for what's easy and we do the shopping and sometimes we buy the same things and we make the same recipes or we're cooking in in batches because it's convenient and then eating the same foods over the week and so I think um, downloading that resource and using that for the whole family is a really great place to start so I design that with you know the whole population in mind and, and basically for families that you can just quickly do like a little gut 40 assessment, see how much, you know, uh, veggies and plant-based foods you're eating in a week. Um, and then I've got all like tips and tricks and things that you can do to like, you know, easily start increasing that diversity to get over 30 a week in there.
0: Yeah, because I think the thing is, is as soon as your kids get on to having junky food, um, it's really, really hard to get them back to that whole food eating. It's really easier just to start them off on the whole food eating and keep them on that path for as long as you can. But I really appreciate for those people listening who have toddlers, it's, it's like you just want them to eat. And so you get to that point where you start giving in to certain things because you go, look, I just know that this kid needs to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I, if I provide only healthy food, then they're not going to eat it and they're going to go hungry. And we have all this, this guilt that goes around, um, around that. Um, So I think that my thing was, if I, I actually remember there were times when I went into the pantry and just like ate unhealthy food so that my kid couldn't see it. (laughs) I was like I just need to try and give them as much healthy food because as soon as they taste the bad food they're gonna be all over it oh yeah (laughs) like
1: even William now like I I can totally relate to that like I would like have my little cookies in the cupboard and I would have my cup of tea and then face the other way and eat my cookie and he is now like very well aware and he'll go and point at me and so I'll give him a little bit but I totally know what you mean because his eyes just like light
0: up like it's like give me that cookie Mum. <laughs> oh I remember the time actually my mum looked after my kids and she introduced them to Milo for the first time and I was like <laughs> no <laughs> oh, I mean we have to be realistic though right like they're gonna yeah.
1: like we can try and keep them away from those foods but I think it's really important to also like you know try and set boundaries and educate them so like what I do say to William is like this is a special food and a sometimes food and also just talk have positive food conversations with him and rather than labeling it as bad or good and things like that because obviously it's like it's a really loaded arena like all of this and it's you know it can set up children to have um, potential issues later on with food associations and things like that so I think just being gentle and making food fun like rather than it being a really tense time like just be guided by them and like I truly believe that like if they're not hungry they're not going to eat it like and I just I, I really trust like and that probably doesn't apply to every child depending on the severity of health conditions and things like that but most kids if they're hungry they will eat um you know, and um, they're not going to starve. Um, But I think just keep trying to expose them. Like there are studies there that say up to 15 to 20 times before they might accept a food and they'll go through phases where all of a sudden they hate that food and they're throwing it away or just flat out refusing it. And I think just surrendering to that and working through it with them um, and then just keep trying, like keep, you know, like... William hates green beans and it drives me mad because it's like you oh. know and I just keep like I, I can't I'm probably over 20 times like but I'm still not going to give up like
0: <laughs> yeah um
1: but I just keep like I'll cook them still for the family and put them on our plates and each time he'll look at it and so, now he's even at the age where he just kind of even pulls a bit of a face at me he's like mum you know I don't like this like <laughs> Um, but you just got to keep going and hope that even just them seeing it on the plate is a, a you know, is good for them.
0: Yeah. And I think the best thing you can do with beans is go and get some bean plants or eat some bean seeds and actually have a little raised garden bed outside or like a pot or something and get them to actually grow their own beans.
1: Sorry. See, this is what I mean by making it fun, right? Yeah. Like get them involved in it and take it away from the, you know, get them in the cooking process even too. I'm thinking, you know, like there's a lot to be said with um, all of that, you know, stuff external to just physically eating the food.
0: Yeah, especially if they've like grown it or they've cut it up even and put it in the pot um, and things like that. I think that makes a really big difference for our kids if they feel like they're a part of the process. And sometimes we baby them and think, oh, they're just little, but actually they can do a lot more than we think. Um, Totally. Yeah, and I think it's really hard when they're going through that fussy stage. You know, they're eighteen months to like two and a half, where they just kind of graze all the time, and they just want to have little snacks, and that's fine. Um, but you can very much have morning tea, and afternoon tea becomes like another meal, and mm-hmm. then it starts to become like what you would traditionally give as snack food becomes like one of their meals that becomes the norm for them and then they don't eat as much at dinner time. and around in in circles you go yes Um, so I think it's all about like just trying to set really good routines and habits from the start um, but not be guilty about going okay well we're busy so we don't have to have you know we don't have to be guilty about sometimes giving our kids other things Um, it's about having a balance isn't it
1: oh yes yeah we've got to think of like because even as human you know adult humans we don't eat perfectly All the time. So I think if we have that expectation on our children, I don't think that's completely healthy either.
0: Yeah. Um, You know, when your kid has gone through like constipation, is there anything that you should be giving them like um, extra to actually help them through that process in terms of foods? Yeah. So I think obviously
1: fibers are really big one. So like looking again at like the, the plant-based foods, um, but like actually it's probably more about what to exclude. I mean, you've got probiotics that you can add in that are really great for constipation. Um, but from a dietary perspective, things like bananas and sweet potatoes can be really constipation promoting. So just being aware of how much of those they're Having. Um, and then things like kiwi fruits um, and adding in some flax seeds um, can be just really simple things that you can start doing to actually, from a diet perspective, to yeah, get things moving.
0: Yeah, I find with a lot of the families I work with, they're really good at getting like a healthy breakfast. And there's lots of fiber in breakfast, but there's not much fiber in some of the other things they're having through the day. So that's something I really encourage with my clients is to think about trying to actually have more water and a lot more fibre at different times of the day um, to just try and encourage them, especially if you've got, like, quite a fussy eater. Yes. Um, it's lots of opportunities to eat that healthy stuff that they need.
1: Yeah, and sometimes it's thinking outside the traditional things that you have to eat for breakfast, lunch and dinner too. Like yeah. I think Sometimes we can be creative and, and think outside the box, like, you know, like why do we have to have a cereal or toast for breakfast you know and and how can we actually um could they eat vegetables for brekkie um or you know a meal where there's actually um you know like a carrot cake porridge or carrot cake bircher where you're actually grating up some carrot with some cinnamon nutmeg bit of apple oats like you know and you could have that for breakfast or for lunch like it doesn't really matter um yes yeah, so I think it's also kind of thinking outside that box and that traditional thinking with mealtimes as well
0: yeah because kids don't know any different. so if they're in your house and you're feeding them certain things at at you know lunchtime they just think that's normal
1: mm. yeah <laughs> like yeah I don't think William ever knows what's coming at him for mealtimes so I'm very <laughs> I'm very sporadic and very random sometimes like yesterday he had some toast um for lunch with avocado some olives and just some steamed carrot leftovers from the night before like, you
0: know. you're, you're amazing that you can get olives into him I think that's incredible yes it's a very new thing
1: so I um introduced them on Tuesday and he ate two um just like we had like a platter at my parents house because you know, we can go to each other's houses in Victoria now, like, oh my goodness. (laughs) Um, So we had like a platter with like fruit and we had olives on there and I was like, oh, I'm just going to see what he does. And he ate them. And so then yesterday at lunch, I was like, I'm going to keep this going for a little bit, like that familiarity and build up that trust and relationship with the food. Um, And he ate them again. So it's incredible. Like sometimes we also assume our kids aren't going to, and I don't really like olives. So I hadn't, given them to him yet so it's a it's funny when you really think about our own food preferences and, and ways of eating and how that can also translate into our kids purely
0: because of our the way we eat as an adult Yes, we don't even realize how much they're watching us, eh? Mm -hmm. (laughs) say and following our our lead on these things. Um, This has been such a fascinating talk. I know that we could chat so much longer on all these topics, Um, but I'm wondering if people want to um, hear more about this topic with you, how can they find you online? So I'm, I always
1: hang out on Instagram. It's my favorite place to hang. So Carly yes. Raven Naturopath. Um, and then I also have a website, so carlyraven.com, and a Facebook group, which is free, which is Nourished Gut Community. So depending
0: on where you are and where you'd like to, yeah, just come say hi. <laughs> yeah, well, what I'll do is I'll put all the links to find Carly online On our show notes so if you head to lulu.co.nz and go to the podcast um, I'll be able to link to everything so you can find her go and um, follow her on Instagram I know I already do because this is a topic that I'm obviously really fascinated about not just because of toilet training but because I've got kids right so I think it's something that we all need to know about so thank you so much for being on the podcast it's been really really cool hanging out thank you so much I've loved it thanks for having me Was it just me or did that podcast fly by? Thank you so much for joining me. I've put all the links to what we discussed in today's episode in the show notes. And I've saved all our previous episodes of Parenting Chats with Laura on our website, lulu.co.nz. While you're there, sign up to get an alert for when our next podcast goes live so you don't miss a thing. Remember, you're a great parent and we're all in this together. Have a great day.